It's time for truth, a ministry of Truth Family Bible Church in Middleton, Idaho. It's time for truth exists to glorify God through the edification of his saints in our local church and for the benefit of the church around the world. I'm your host, Pastor Danny Steinmeier, and I'm joined in studio with my friend and fellow elder at TFBC, Jim Berg. Well, welcome everyone to another episode of the podcast. We really appreciate that you listen to us and that we uh, and we really like this this medium for being able to talk to you to provide some biblical insight, to discuss contemporary issues together, but also to share with you engaging interviews. And today is one of those days where we get to interview someone from our church. Uh, sometimes we get wrapped up in big names and celebrity Christians, but we uh, we find that this is a great way for us to get to know one another in the body to hear from people who don't have a big name or a huge platform. This is our church family, and this is a great way to get to know each other so that hopefully we are stimulated to loving each other better and to being better friends with others in the body of Christ. But before we introduce our guests uh, this uh, episode, let me bring into the conversation the bearded one. (laughs) Uh, How are you today, Jim? I'm doing good. I'm doing better, actually. The uh, Nashville shootings, which I know we'll talk about on another podcast, it hit me a little harder than I expected. Um, you know, I think the sheer evil of the event and those poor children and, and adults, and then combined with watching the video of the police officers, those heroes going into that building, and Jack is a police officer, so it kind of reconciled that this is what my son does. Um, but you take that to the Lord, you understand that your son is a follower of Christ and a believer, and you reconcile all that before God, and you realize you are blessed. Um, and then you go to your Wednesday night family Bible study, and you have the young kids come up to you and they all call me grandpa because of the beard and it's really warming. It really gets you back centered on the things that really matter and being able to walk faithfully. So that's kind of where I'm at this week and uh, really appreciate the blessings that I have in our family and our church family. Uh, the Bible studies are fantastic and uh, just really enjoying life right now. Well, great. Yes, we have a, a lot to talk about. There's a lot of things going on. And so this is a, a great time to talk about these things with our church family. This is a great uh, way to do that. Well, we want to get right into our interview for today. Uh, in studio with us is one of our deacons at TFBC, Brandon Shippey, and we are also privileged to have his wife Raquel with us. And so welcome to the podcast, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Well, Brandon, we want to start off um, with you. We'd like for you to tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, how old are you? How long have you been married? How many children do you have? Uh, where do you live? Those kind of particular details. Yeah, so I'm 34 years old. I live in New Plymouth, Idaho. I've been married for almost 15 years this this coming June. My wife and I have three children, two we have adopted, and uh, one uh, biological son. Fantastic. Well, how is it that you came to attend and become a a critical part of Truth Family Bible Church? Uh, Tell us a little bit about uh, how we came to be. Yeah, Truth Family Bible Church really started as a Bible study in... uh, a home in Middleton, and we, I, I was one of the early attendees of that Bible study. I was leading it early on. Um, and as you know, we had invited your family to join us and co-lead that Bible study. You, you started taking over that Bible study. Uh, we started to get your, to know your family, the Steinmeier family, and, and uh, grew to love you guys. And 
and uh, through through the process of time um, with you planted the church uh, just being a helper to you in that as your heart was to, to plant a church after graduating seminary and moving to Idaho and and so it's been a a joy to, to be a part of that and to see what the Lord has done in, in growing it from a Bible study to to really a, a thriving church uh, where we're supporting our pastor uh, 100% um, of his income and and uh, even uh, able to do other things with it and and uh, just seeing the growth and 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 being blessed at, to be a part of it. Uh, so I, I would say that's that's really how I've become to be a part of it. Oh, that's great. Uh, yeah, you were you were a part of it before the beginning, even that's right? right. That's right. Back in the Bible study days, and so we've uh, we've been together for a number of years now, and it's been a it's been a joy to uh, be close with your family and to uh, be in, in partnership with ministry. So it's been uh, it's been a wonderful thing, and we're uh, like I said, I, I, did, I chose my words carefully. A critical part of Truth Family Bible Church is the Shippy family. So we're uh, we're privileged to be able to talk to you guys today. One of the key elements of getting to know someone in the body of Christ is to hear their testimony. Uh, and your testimony is very exciting as everyone's is in some way, of course, but w- would you tell us a little bit about your background and how you came to Christ and what change that made for you and your family? So I'm a third generation Idahoan. I believe that's how you would say it. My, my grandfather moved out of Oklahoma in the fifties and they were, they were a part of a group a religious group called the followers of Christ. That's where I grew up a multi-generational in, in that my wife as well. And, um, a, a very workspace, uh, salvation, understanding of doctrine, real basic. I won't get into the weeds in that. Um, but, uh, understood, um, to some degree, the law of God and that I was a sinner and, you know, was taught to be an honest person, uh, you know, growing up really conservative, uh, come from a big family and uh, very religious, but never had the gospel. The, the, the follower uh, group where I come from, they, they never taught about Christ, never taught about forgiveness of sin. Um, but having grown up in there, really being taught about, about my own sinfulness, and uh, though I was supposed to be working my way to heaven, um, in really in, it, it kind of culminated in 2013, uh, just through the process of time, as I look back, knowing that the Lord had really began working on me um, the putting putting on me the weight of my own sin and re- really in 2013 was when i started to become more aware of the burden of sin trying to trying to fulfill myself in other things trying to uh, distract my own mind and my own heart uh, but the lord would never allow me to be content with that i was always continually restless and uh really in in the, the by the fall of 2013 really just becoming heavy with the burden of sin, not knowing where to turn. There's really no answers from the, the, the follower group where I grew up in um, of what to do with sin. Just try harder uh, the next time, maybe that, that type of mentality. And, but I I'd happened to turn on CSN radio uh, and hearing the gospel preached um, through, through, through the radio ministry. And for the first time, uh, having heard the gospel, resisted it for a number of months. I refused to humble myself. Um, though I was aware, I was proud. I, I recognized in my own heart that I was proud. And, and I even, though I was to some degree an agnostic at this point, religious, but not really believing in God, even the God that I was raised to believe in, um, started to, to gain to some degree a fear of God and, and recognized I was accountable to him and actually started praying that he would, uh, humble me. And 
if, if he was real. And there was through, through a series of events, uh, really the spring of 2014, uh, the Lord began actively humbling me in different things. And I recognized that's what he was doing. And it actually gave, gave me a lot of confidence in, in the Lord, but it never cleansed me of my sin. It never gave me power over my sin. And which just kept continually bringing me lower and lower until I was, I was really just completely come to the end of myself. Um, May of May of 2014, I, it was a really, really low point for me. Um, completely, totally broken by my sin, uh, convinced in my heart that I couldn't be forgiven, that I had gone beyond the Lord's forgiveness, though I was listening to the gospel still uh, on the radio, probably on, on a daily basis. And uh, my heart was truly in just a, a, a dark place, full of t- uh, turmoil. Um, I believed I was, I was going to hell. I was believed I was beyond the grace of God at this point. And at that, at, there was really a moment, I remember it, May 31st, 2014, I was on my way to Vail, Oregon, of all places, to, to work uh, on, a, on a, a, a job out there that I had been uh, doing for a few weeks. And uh, driving on my way out there, distraught, broken, and uh, just crying out to the Lord to, to, to show me mercy. I didn't, there was nothing else I wanted in life at that point, but to have the mercy of the Lord and was convinced that I would not even receive it, but I didn't know what else to do. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was a moment where, where I, I, it was the, the, the Lord um, forgave me. The Lord forgave me. I was, I was utterly convinced in a, in a moment that I had been cleansed and forgiven. The Lord really through the gospel and by his spirit had spoken peace to my heart and given me rest at that moment, which erupted in, in joy and, and praise to the Lord that I didn't really even know at the time. My theology was very infantile and, and uh, needed a lot of work at that point. Didn't know any other Christians, but I knew I was forgiven. You know, the, we have that blind man in John 9 where he's, he's asked, uh, you know, who, who is this that's done this? And, and his answer was, all I know is I was blind, but now I see. Right. That was me. I, I, I really didn't know much. I knew I've been made new. I've been born again. Uh, something has happened to me. And from that moment, um, really, the Lord cleansed me of, of so many sins that had been clinging so closely to me that I had continually promised to the Lord over and over and over for, for several years that I would never, never do this again, but turn around and do it again. Right. And the Lord immediately cleansed me from those sins. Um, gave me a, a new heart to praise him, though I didn't really even know him well. And just pursuing the Lord then at that moment, sort of secretly listening to the radio, started reading my Bible for hours a day, um, not even having told my wife yet because I was afraid to tell her, afraid to tell anyone because this, is, this was something that really wasn't supposed to happen from where you came from. You, you, had, you had a lot of presuppositions that you brought to it. I, I, I was still trying to figure all this out. Well, as again, something I want to press into a little bit uh, in that part of your story, you mentioned even just there almost kind of a secrecy of of doing this on your own. Uh, maybe if you could step back a little bit, that's a wonderful story. Uh, by the way, I, I love the brokenness of sin and the the joy and release of peace with God and, and forgiveness. Um, but that that has a background of where you've come out of. You you talked about being a part of the followers. What are what are some of the key elements of your background? in terms of um, what the followers clung to, um, cling to today, um, the, the, the reason why you had to 
really feel like you were in secret doing this. Um, you could just give a little, little bit of background on that. Yeah, I think I think it'd be helpful to to open that up a little bit to give insight on this. In the follower religion, there was there there were these prophets, somewhat self proclaimed, and they would call uh, these these men called they would call them to an office of either they were called preachers, but it was synonymous with apostle, and they, they essentially had the authority to baptize, lay hands on you for the reception of the Holy Ghost. And basically what they would equiv equiv make equivalent to being born again, right? They wouldn't use that term a lot, but some people would. And, and that was really your beginning point. And then you would, you would begin to, to take your journey of, of your religious service to God, whereby you would earn your salvation at that point. I had never been baptized. There, there actually wasn't any of these apostles during my lifetime. There still isn't in the group that I grew up in. And so for, for anyone of, of my status, never having been baptized by one of these apostles, having had hands laid on you and the, the different elements that, that was required for this, it was impossible for me, according to the, to the system, for me to have been born again or to be forgiven in any, in any real way. And so for me to be making any claims like this, would immediately put me on the outs with the group. So I, 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 it was not allowed to be claiming to be born again or to be forgiven. Um, you were you were seen as apostate at that point, really, because you're taking upon yourself some authority that it doesn't belong to you. And so, so to, just to give a little bit of insight of why I really needed to be secret about this in my own mind, I knew even that day that I knew that I was forgiven. I wanted to tell people so bad. I wanted to tell my family to explain to them there is there's forgiveness in the Lord. There's life to be had here. There's there's joy that I'd never experienced in anybody around me. No one had ever I'd never I'd never seen on anyone's face the joy of the Lord uh, to this point. Besides maybe people outside of the group, and but I knew at the same time I couldn't talk about this because I would immediately be rejected. I I I I, I thought man if I could just perform some sort of miracle or something to convince them, right, that this is true. As I realized later, if you can't be convinced by uh, the word, you wouldn't be convinced by miracles. But anyway, so that's that's really gives you an idea. I was I was fearful to, to even mention anything to my family. I was fearful to mention anything to my wife Raquel because I didn't know what, what she was what she would do. We we were pretty close and I and I and I, I trusted her, but at the same time there was that element of fear because this is something new. This is something we had never experienced. I had never experienced. She had never experienced um, actually having an encounter with the Lord himself. Right. Right. And, and so that element of, of ostracism, I think is the, is the word of being rejected by family and, and, and really the followers was a very tight knit community, right? Because there was this element of, of having something different and, distinct from even the rest of the world and other religions. Um, tell me just a little bit more about uh, the, the key element of follower doctrine. And um, as you've, I think, really uh, aptly described their high place. Um, what's, the, what's the high place, the, the altar really of, of the follower uh, religion? Yeah, one of the things that really to date sets the followers, at least the, the group that I grew up in, apart from the, the rest of the, the world, the rest of the people out on, uh, in, this, in this world, is, is a, a doctrine that really developed into a, a fundamental main doctrine, really probably from the time that, 
that my dad was a child. And it really didn't used to be a, a paramount issue uh, historically, but then it developed throughout time. And it really, I think, is a main distinctive to set them apart. And it's the, the doctrine of, of, of abstaining from any kind of medical intervention in sickness and illness. Um, they, they will not go to a hospital or a doctor. Um, and they don't, they don't, they count that as against faith. So you're trusting man, you're putting your, your life in man's hands instead of God. And so any, any, um, anything outside of a miracle when it comes to any type of healing is, is refused, right? So that's, that's, that's their, that's their position. Um, I, I, I see that different, obviously now I believe that the medical, um, industry, the, the not all of it, but medical technology in general has been a gift from the Lord, um, to, to, primarily his people, and then also his creation in general, because he's a benevolent um, creator. Uh, that's really good. Uh, so Raquel, your husband has had a radical change about nine years ago, and uh, you have you had the same background, right? This was the same community of people that, that you had grown up in. Uh, what was it like for you to have this uh, change in your husband when he finally decides to get over his fear and tell you what's happened to him? Um, I, I didn't know what to think. Um, I was scared because I felt like he was going to wreck our life. <laughs> um, you know, all of our family would turn their backs on us and our friends. Um, we had no friends outside of this community. Um, so yeah, I was, I was scared, but he was so earnest about it that I thought I'm okay. I'll wait and see, you know, see what, what's really going on. Cause I, my question was like, how, how are you, how have you been forgiven? You haven't been baptized. Um, and he, he basically, he was honest. He said, I don't actually know, but I'm going to find out. And I'm like, how? And I watched him, um, devour this, the scripture. Just if he got a free minute, he was, he was reading. Um, and so, and that was something we didn't do. You know, we, we read in church, but it wasn't something that um, was really uh, taught that you should read the Bible a lot. Um, and so I, I seen a change very quickly just in that. And so I, I was, I guess, just taken aback a little bit, but um, I guess willing to just wait and see. And yeah, so the scripture was the big change. And then... Um, I kind of grew up, we grew up in the same group, but a tiny bit different where um, my, my grandfather was an outcast on my father's side. Um, he kind of had some weird things from the follower group. And so um, some of my family, you know, my dad was always willing to still hang out with his dad and his siblings and um, all of that. So... Uh, but then Brandon, when I married him, it really changed where his family started wanting me not to see my parents and um, kind of saying that's what we should do. And that was really upsetting to me. Because of your grandfather. Right. That was that was kind of, it was like, well, she's his granddaughter. Mm -hmm. um, and so that was upsetting to me. But then almost immediately, Brandon started wanting to go see all these people that were outcasts and talk to them. And he he was loving them for the first time. And that was... I was, yeah, it was, I was still scared, but I was loving the change I was seeing because I had started to, to kind of, I don't know if you'd say hate, but it was hard for me. I had not grown up to be, um, yeah, just 
you didn't turn your back on your family type of a thing. And so I was really happy to see that. And I didn't believe still for a number of months. Um, it really, um, he was, he, so he's devouring scripture, listening to sermons, all the things. Um, I don't remember when it was, I think it was in September. Um, we were invited to a Bible study um, from a previous follower, or, you know, he was a previous follower. We were going to his home for a Bible study. Um, I wasn't a believer, but I went. And the pastor of our friend's church, he was leading the Bible study. And I couldn't get over why he cared about us. We were not well off. Um, and he cared that as Brandon was telling him how, you know, he'd really been cut off from his family and, um, he had tears in his eyes and he, he, he cared and I didn't understand why. Um, but I was drawn to him. Um, the fact that he cared about us. Um, and so we continued to go to the Bible study plus go to the follower church still. Um, Brandon's family had completely started avoiding us, wouldn't make eye contact with us. Um, and others in the church were the same. Um, so it was hard to go, um, but I was scared to leave. Mm -hmm. Brandon was, he was ready to leave, um, but in his kindness towards me, he waited for me to be ready as well. Um, and I wanted just to keep going to the Bible study. I didn't want to have to go to a different church because that seemed too scary, but I was really enjoying the Bible study. Um, I, I was fighting it. I didn't want to enjoy it. Um, but so just, I guess, just slowly through Brandon um, bringing the word to me, teaching me the gospel um, in November of that 2014, um, I was finally able just to lay myself aside and put my faith in Christ. And um, we, we left followers and we've been back a couple times, but um, it's been wonderful. Okay, so these are going to be my favorite interviews. These are the best podcasts. Like right. th these are, we need to do more of these, Danny. And you and I talk about this. There's no neutrality, right? There, it's a myth. There's no neutrality in the world. And we listen to this testimony and we think that, oh, that's unique, or I would never be part of abstaining. No, it's all of our testimonies follow the same path. It's it's normative. And, you know, coming out of Catholicism, we'll talk more about that on another podcast, but it, it's it's equal. And you know, maybe you're out there and you're not a believer and maybe you're not abstaining from medicine, but maybe you're indulging in other sins and those things need to weigh on you. You need to understand that behind all of that is fear. And that fear can only be alleviated through a relationship with Jesus Christ. No, very good. <clears throat> and thank you guys for sharing that. That's a, uh, just a, an encouragement to, like Jim said, to all of us, this is, this is good stuff for us to share together as, as a body and, and we know that our many of our church family are listening to this, and so we're we're just grateful for that. So the Lord has done a great work in your life to bring you out of uh, of a cult, really, and as well as the the challenges of that way of thinking about refusing help in in terms of medicine, in terms of intervention in health matters. Um, as I'm certainly aware, you you far more of the. Uh, amount of suffering and death that has happened among the followers and really for in many cases very unnecessary and uh, preventable and treatable situations um, and uh, that kind of leads me in part to the next part of our conversation we wanted to have 
is uh, another part of your life, of course, is your children. You already mentioned that uh, you have uh, adopted two girls and, uh, and we love them. Uh, there's also been uh, a little bit of that surprise of your, of your son and the difference that being out of the followers even made in that situation in your life. Would you just maybe talk about, to start off with, because um, where you started was with foster care. Would you start with foster care and then move us towards uh, the development of your, of your family? Yeah, I don't recall what year it was for sure that we began the conversation of, of, of doing foster care. It, it I believe made two, 2015. 2015? I believe. Yeah, I think it was 2015. We, we, we went through all the classes and, and uh, we'd been married for, so we, we were married in 2008 and we're never able to have children. And through, through conversations with a customer of mine at the time, she, she had taken, she was dealing with the children in the courts. And I think she was a, an advocate for the children and she was encouraging us to, to look into doing foster care. We had had some conversations about maybe adopting. And so we, we looked, we looked into it, took the classes and began doing foster care. I think that, that fall. And we wound up having about, I think 13 different placements total throughout the, the years of doing it. And, uh, so that, that was really how it started. Uh, we had some long-term placements, which was fairly hard on Raquel, a couple of boys that wound up going back to their mother, um, moving to Washington. I think we had them for a year and a half, maybe something like that. Yeah. So, so that was, that was pretty hard. Cause I mean, you get these kids that are pretty young. Um, you know, in fact, there was the younger, younger boy, I think lived with us longer than he lived with his own, um, family at the time that he went back. And so it was, it's pretty difficult. Um, and it was really through in 2016, our girls had come to live with us and just as foster children for, a, for about five weeks. And at that point, uh, Raquel was really ready to move on and to do something else. She was, she was fairly burnt out, um, having, having done the long placements. And at, at this time we got the girls for five weeks while we had those other boys, by the way, and they went back home to their, to their family to their mom and then the uh the, the boys had went back home to their mom and we had made the decision be because she was just raquel was a little a little burnout let's let our license um just expire and we'll just we'll move on and figure out what we want to do in the future and they they wound up calling us back up in june i think of 2017 mm -hmm. June of 2017 and said, Hey, I know your license is, 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 you know, you're wanting to be done at least for now. Um, but we have these, these girls that did spend five weeks with you last fall. Um, would you just take them? It'd just be a couple weeks, maybe a month at the most. And before, you know, their mom can go through these different steps that she needs to, and then, and then go back. We said, you know, well, that's, that's okay. We remembered that their, their faces when they first came in, um, to our front door with the, with the, the caseworker they were terrified and we thought, you know what, we can't make them do that to a new family. They'll recognize our faces. They were with us for five weeks. Um, we'll be a familiar face. So let's just, let's just take them. Um, we really didn't, I, I was, I was a little bit neutral about it at the time. I would just, you know, whatever she wanted, you know, because she was one mostly dealing with them being the, the mom at home and, and going to all the visits and all the appointments and all the stuff. So she spent a lot more time with them and just, it was a lot harder on her. And so we made the decision to go ahead and take them. Um, I don't know, Raquel could probably speak to that a little more, but it was just the, the, for whatever reason, we understand in the sovereignty of God, we made the decision to, to take him and two months, a month turned into two months, turned into six months. 
Um, and so that was in 2017, and the, the fall of 2017, um, un, un, unknown to us, Raquel became pregnant in, in September of 2017. And the, the conversations had already began about us adopting our girls. And because of different health complications that she's always had and she wasn't feeling good, she just chalked it up to, I'm just not feeling good. And so for five months, um, she's not thinking she's pregnant. She's not thinking she's <laughs> pregnant. And so for five months, she, we're we're dealing with she's not feeling well. We're 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 bringing it to the Lord, saying, "Please remove this problem, whatever it is." Right? And he's he's of course overriding our our prayers at this point. Um, praise praise be to God for that. And uh, then in, in 2018, I think it was in was it in March or April? It was the end of March. The end of March. Mm -hmm. um, we, we decided to go ahead and get an ultrasound. And uh, we had a five-month-old baby boy hanging out. I can really there. contain myself. They had triplets. <laughs> That's where this is going. This is triplets. <laughs> this is such a great story. And so, yeah, the, then we, we had uh, so very, very short pregnancy. People called her Instamom because mm -hmm. uh, we found out she was, she was pregnant basically in April. And... The end of May, she he had came early. So he, he came, came early, and so, and uh, but but getting back, getting back yeah. to your to the, the, even the other point about what difference did it make that now that we're not a part of the followers and able to receive the Lord's provision in in medical technology and and the advancement of that, there there were complications in the in the birth, and the the doctor had to do a, an emergency C section to to get our boy. Um, out safely and healthy and we the lord knows the lord knows but you know from what we see there's it's very likely he wouldn't have made it if we had been in the followers um and raquel maybe not either i mean that that has happened multiple times it's not it's not unheard of it's actually very heard of in the followers there's, there are there is a very fairly high mortality rate among birthing mothers and among children and uh in fact i have i have um to two siblings that I helped bury myself um, when I was a teenager because they were stillborn. They just didn't make it through the birthing process. Um, and so that, that's, that's quite common. And so we, you know, for, whatever, for whatever reason in the Lord's design and plan, um, we, were, we, we had the freedom through really the gospel, through really the, 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 the work of Christ in our own lives um, to bring us to a place to be able to appreciate and apply and, and, and use the resources that God has given in medical technology to, to um, bring about, uh, you know, the, the result of a, of a, a good uh, end of a pregnancy with, with uh, the birth of our, our son through C-section. So we're, we're very thankful for that. It's, it's not, uh, we don't see it in any way as antithetical to faith. It was because of our faith that we, that we um, and because of our faith in Christ, really, that we come to that point. Oh, that's great. And it, just the, the grace of God to preserve the life of your son and your wife. Yeah. Uh, because, yeah, there were some complications there. I rem yeah. remember that well. Uh, so that's just a, a neat part of your story. Uh, just finish off, if you would, the, the process of the fact that you... Um, yeah, get to the triplets. You, 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 you adopted the girls. Yeah, so then that August... Or was it the next year? So um, Samuel was born in May. And at that point... Uh, I was still down with having the baby. Brandon took the girls to court, and um, 
the mother uh, wind up she wound up just signing um, her rights. So right after we had Samuel, we were up for adoption. It was triplets. Girls. I'm telling you. Um, but <laughs> we awesome. it was it was a long it, it took a long time. Yeah, so yeah. we didn't actually adopt them till August of 2019. Yeah, so, but it was done. Yes, it was done. It was on its way. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's, that's awesome. great. We and we love your kids, and and of course those girls are just thriving. There's so much uh, happiness and joy in their eyes, and they're they're a wonderful part of our church. Do you have any encouragements um, for people in relationship to foster care and adoption? You uh, have certainly even identified the, the challenges and the difficulties. It's not an easy road necessarily. And we've talked to you, you heard us talk uh, on our previous episode with Derry Doom uh, about their journey into foster care. And uh, maybe, you know, talk about that a little bit and, uh, and maybe some of your passions in relationship to that subject. Definitely foster care is not something that you can be self-focused about. It's, 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 it, it really has to be a ministry. You, you, and it, because of the interaction that you have with typically a, a lot of unbelievers, whether it's family members to the children that are staying in your home, um, there, there has to be some sort of focus on, on this, is, this is not for myself. This is not for myself. I'm going to spend my own resources. I'm going to spend my own time, sacrifice my own time and, and, and emotional and mental um, uh, resources for others, right? Primarily, in, in this case, for the kids. Um, so, sometimes they're really small. You can't really communicate well with them. Sometimes they're a little bit older, depending on how, you know, who you received into your home. As, as far as ministering truth, the truth of the gospel even, to these children, and and we, we tried to do that best we could with with the children that would come in our home. We would we would we would tell them about the Lord Jesus. We would tell them basic things uh, about the, the truth of who God was, um, the the simple gospel message. Um, just trusting that the Lord would do with it what He will, and and then any opportunity we had, uh, we we did spend probably a, more time than most with. Um, the biological parents or parent in different cases. Uh, there was there was one that we actually had over for Thanksgiving dinner at one point, um, and she she was actually the mother of the the boys that had stayed with us long term, and and we we showed her I think a lot of kindness in ways that she had never received from others. She was always in very abusive relationships, um, connected with a lot of crime, and really never experienced anyone that had any glimpse of generosity or otherness thinking of other people in their, in their mind or their heart. So there's a lot of opportunity there, but with that said, it, it's, it, it's really hard because it becomes kind of a central point in your life. This isn't just something you do on the weekends. This is something that is 24 seven, right? This is every day, um, every night, whether it's, you know, and you know, different sicknesses, diseases, a, a lot of the time these kids, come from pretty uh, pretty rough situations and there are a lot of disease, diseases that come um, as a result of that. And so there's a lot of extra things that you might have to deal with. So it's, as far as encouragements go, um, it, there's, there's the, 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 the benefits is that uh, you are, you can be confident that you're reflecting the heart of Christ. You're not really going to benefit yourself monetarily or really in any other way um, in this life, I would say. There's, there's really not, um, if the Lord sees fit to do that through that, as he did with 
giving us two beautiful daughters that we had no idea we would even adopt. Um, but don't, don't ever going to go into it thinking that I'm going to get something out of this, go into there seeking to honor Christ and it would be the primary thing. Right. And so that's why I think a lot of, a lot of the, the foster, um, homes typically are Christian. Um, those that aren't, there are stories of people taking on a lot of kids just because there is, there are, there's some support that comes from the the state with that. And then they use those resources kind of for their own benefit. There are kind of horror stories out there like that, but for the most part, it, it really has, it, it takes a, a Christian heart to want to pour yourself out into others with no benefit in return. And maybe Raquel can speak to that a little more as far as encouraging other moms or families. Uh, right. Yeah. Um, it was really, it was hard at times, but it really was a blessing um, just to be able to um, just actively serve children that are, are not your own. Um, you don't know when they're leaving, when they're, you know, it might be soon and it might be long. Um, but it's definitely, um, it's definitely something that is, I don't know, it helped to, I think it brought me closer to Christ, just being able to um, serve the children that um, he loves and to love them as well. I, I remember there was a turning point when we had one of the, one of the little boys Raquel was, she's a very organized person. She's very clean. Our house is always very clean. She's, she's an excellent wife, excellent homemaker. But there was a point where I noticed a difference in her. One of the little boys had thrown up all over the floor in the bedroom and she was like, it's okay. We'll just clean it up and it'll be fine. <laughs> and I noticed there was just, it was almost a, from, from one day to the next, there was just a difference stuff stopped mattering to her. These little precious souls mattered. And, and I, I noticed that, and, and even if it was just that, that growth in maturity of saying, stuff can be replaced, but these little precious souls, they shouldn't be you know, scorned or, or complained to about the mess they made. If it was an accident, they should be, they should be loved, cleaned up, taken care of, We'll mess with the, the 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 throw up the barf later, right? The, this it's a mess, but it's th that can be replaced, right? There's a tendency when it's my stuff, and there's this there's this kid that doesn't belong to me. There's this natural tendency in us to say, "Look what you've done to my stuff," mm -hmm. and it, how absurd, right? That that can that can actually destroy a child's confidence in you, their trust. It can harm him for for years and years. And and to see that develop in Raquel was was just a huge privilege to, to be able to see the Lord work that in her, right? This isn't, this isn't really a story about us. It's really about a story about how the Lord has used these things. Um, to sanctify you. Yeah. Right? So, so an, a big encouragement would be that um, this is, it's a, it is an opportunity to be sanctified, to, to turn loose of your stuff, to turn loose of what you hold so closely, to, to just pour out your life into others. And let me speak about it from a child perspective. So my parents were foster parents and we had children that were short term that would come through and then, you know, in the night they would show up and in the day they would disappear. And then we had several that were long term, one Cheryl that was with us for a very long time. And, you know, you don't, it was a great, as I reflect on it, it's a great 
opportunity to see the world. Like my parents would describe why they were here and what was happening and their background. And they didn't hide the fact that they came from very broken homes or very drug addicted mothers. And, you know, she wound up in jail, out of jail, in jail, out of jail. And the kids came in and out and in and out. And, but I think it helped have an understanding of the world and really have a view of that. Um, but she, you know, Cheryl, who was with us a long time, she's my sister. Like, she's still my sister. I still think of her that way. And so you can really grow through that as a child. Don't it's not a negative towards your children. If parents, if you're thinking about this, it's a it was a very positive for me. So it's a it's a beautiful thing. You realize what your parents are doing for you compared to what's happening out there. And you know my background, but it's really a beautiful picture. So it's a big commitment. I saw the wear and tear on my parents. I saw my mom crying as this poor child left that she cared for. But um, yeah, really good growth. And I think sanctification, really beautiful. So well, that's great. Well, yeah, thank you for sharing uh, that part of your life. I want to move us to even another uh, interest. Uh, you guys have lots of good interests and uh, activities that you're involved with. Uh, Brandon, recently you've been, uh, got, you've gotten involved in politics. Uh, let's start with your involvement as a precinct committeeman. How did this come about and what is that? And um, what's that all about? Yeah, I had to learn myself what it was just a few years ago. I, had, I was actually at a, a county fair and, and had met the chairman of the central committee for the Republican Party in Payette County. And so I, I met him and he, he had explained what, what he was doing there. Um, I grew up fairly apolitical. My family was never involved in politics much. I was trying to understand for, for the last several years, I was trying to understand more and more about it, what I can do to be involved in the community. And he said, hey, we have a meeting tonight. Uh, what, you can see what we're doing as, as a central committee. And so a, a precinct committeeman is, is there, where for the Republican Party is, is, is where I'm currently serving as a, as a committee member. Well, you couldn't serve in the Democrat Party. Correct, correct. <laughs> so in the Republican Party, there, in, in, in Payette County, where I live, there are 10 precincts, voting precincts. And so for each of these voting precincts is a is a precinct committeeman that is voted in the primaries. So because the, for the Republican party, it's in the Republican primaries, there is there you're voted in. And then you, you serve then, uh, in that capacity, you, you're, you're doing once a month meetings typically, and, and then taking care of the business of the Republican party for Payette County. And so it's a unique opportunity in, in, in this, for example. So I ran in 2000, and 22, 2022 was voted in, uh, beat my opponent by 150 votes. Um, it's a pretty small election. There are not a lot of folks that vote for it. Um, and uh, began then right immediately after the election uh, was certified. And what, what, you, what you do really is you take care of the business of the, of the Republican Party. So in Payette County, all of the offices are held by uh, Republican uh, candidates, okay? Republican uh, people that have been vo voted in the, the primaries first, right? And then the general election. So in the general election, Republicans are always elected in Payette County. It's a very conservative, very Republican county. And so one of the, probably the biggest duties or biggest uh, things that come down for the, the committeeman is this issue of the different off county offices that, that somebody either retires or they just resign because of health issues or maybe they die. 
at the time, there was a meeting that night that I had met the, the chairman. He said, hey, there's a, the assessor has just passed away, the county assessor. And because it's a Republican-held office, the Republican Party is responsible for nominating three individuals to give to the county commissioners, three names, and then the county commissioners have to choose from those three names given by the Republican Party to fulfill the remainder of that, that term. Okay. And, but not anyone gets to say on that. It's the precinct committee, it's the central committee together as a body vote on who those are. And so I went to that meeting, got to understand, okay, there, there are who, what the precinct workers do and so on, ran for the office. And as a, as a, as a committeeman, we've done various things. Some of it's a little bit, uh, just tedious, I guess, in nature, but that we did have a county commissioner actually resign because of health issues um, since I've been in office as a committeeman. And so I was one of n uh, nine individuals who had the, had the uh, privilege, I guess, of interviewing then a, a fairly large group of people that had applied for the position and whittled it down with, with the central committee um, going back and forth to and interviewing these folks to, to choose three then names to send to the governor who then chooses um, out of the three and appoints for the remainder of that position, um, which in, in this case is, I think it, it was a two-year term. And so it's a, it's a fairly weighty task, really. And at that point, the only people in the county that have a say on on what names to be sent to the governor are these 10 workers and only nine at the time wound up showing up to the meeting to make the decision really. And so that that's just gives you a little bit of insight. There's just, just kind of taking care of Republican business is what it is in Payette County. And one of the issues is that uh, not everybody running under the Republican banner is representing the values that, uh, that conservatives really are, are all about. And so, we know that one of the problems in our state is while we have a Republican state, we don't exactly have a conservative state. We don't have people representing the biblical values um, that we really ought to be able to have in this state. And so in, in terms of a committeeman, you have a significant say in identifying candidates and giving, you know, arguments for or against and and then also voting up or down relative to the, the available candidates who actually gets to run or get appointed for different offices, right? So that's a that's actually a, a needful thing is for the really that back end position like you have. Um, I've talked with other people about the need for for the Republican Party if we can get the committeemen to be conservative Christians, that we have the ability then over a relatively short amount of time to reshape and move the direction of the Republican Party. Uh, for instance, if you've got, I just talked to someone about this the other day, if you have a Republican who is not exactly acting like a Republican uh, in terms of the values of, of conservative um, people, then uh, that person can be potentially not allowed to run under the Republican ticket on the, by the permission or the lack thereof from the, uh, from the committee. Is that a, a fair way to put that? I, I don't think it probably quite reflects the the update on the rules. It's it's basically the challenge that Idaho has had for quite a while is that the the politicians run under the Republican name because that's what that's who gets elected in in large part in Idaho. Right. 
But the problem is most of these politicians don't actually reflect the Republican Party platform, which is actually a really good platform. If it you is. take the time to read it, it's a great platform. It's for the most part, it's fairly honoring to God even and in a straightforward way. So the Republican Party has really tried to make strides to to get some teeth to to cause their politicians and to, to actually represent the party. Right. If you're going to run under that, run under a different name if you're not going to represent us. Right. It's a private party. Exactly. And so that's that's really the the issue. And we've actually seen a lot of movement in the legislature this year. Um, in fact, a, a bill was just vetoed by our governor, which is only a bill, by the way, that is only supported or is only opposed. He opposed the bill, wouldn't sign it in, but vetoed it. It's only opposed by the House and Senate Democrats. And so this this is this is this bill was was actually uh, uh, put through yesterday or this morning. I think it was yesterday. It was actually forced through uh, with a two thirds over a two thirds majority of both House and Senate, and it just became law. Yeah, it oh, went through um, last the, night. the property nice. tax I, I, bill that was just vetoed. The House and the Senate both pushed it through, which is almost unknown and unheard of in Idaho. It's true, and and be, because the 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 legis the, the the people's voice, the 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 representatives and the senators are starting to feel the pressure from the Republican Party, which is starting to gain some teeth. Uh, Raquel and I both uh, were were county delegates, which is chosen by the Central Committee to send to the Republican. Uh, convention every two years. We both were county delegates last year in July. And we, with about two thirds of the Republican delegates from the various counties throughout Idaho, got, got completely new leadership, new chairman, new vice chairman, new treasurer, new every, everybody was completely new across the board on the leadership of the Republican Party at the state level, which has really changed the the direction and the weight that they that they portray and and will hold then the, the politicians accountable. And so there were, there were a lot of rules. This rule that you mentioned, as far as I understand the rules, it's it, you, there. It's there are a couple of rules. One to get rid of crossover voting, so you, to to get rid of the Democrats' ability to be able to register as Republican, vote in the primary, to vote in the the least Republican candidate, and then switch back to their Democrat. Um, registration right so that the, the, there are some some rules and this is just within the party still it has to be has to be um, established as far as I know it, it maybe it has been at this point but I, I I haven't looked into it for a little while now and uh, but it requires that if you've been uh, registered anything other than a Republican you cannot for about tw you cannot register and vote you have to register as a Republican and you cannot vote for 12 months after you've registered. So it, so it just provides a buffer. So you can't just flip and flop. You have to register as a Republican, yeah. be registered for 12 months or longer, and then you can vote in a primary. So there's that. And then the other one is that, as far as I know, the rule actually gives the, the central committee, the county central committee, such as ours, the ability to endorse certain candidates in the primaries, which was not really done before. I mean, people had done it, but now it's part of the rules as far as I know. We can actually vet them. We can interview them as a central committee and say, do you hold to the platform? Do you hold to this? Do you hold to that? And then we can then send out recommendations to our constituents in our respective precincts and say, here's who we've determined is reflecting the party's uh, platform best, right? This guy versus this, this, this guy. 
And so that's really the teeth that they have so far. Um, they're working on more. It's a, it's, it's a difficult issue because when you, when you put some restrictions here, um, when you put restrictions on who can run, then when you get you, you, as far as like the central committee or the state central committee, uh, there was were some rules that were they were trying to pass as far as the state central committee to pa uh, to to restrict who got got to run. Basically, they had to to uh, get approved by the state central committee. The problem is then once you replace the state central committee with with leftists, then now they will only allow leftists to run. So putting too many restrictions can also shoot you in the foot. So you just got to be find that good balance. I think it's really good. It's it's good that the voters now can begin to see the things that are necessary for making decisions. So, you know, you see the flip-flop, we we hear about it, but now you actually see controls trying to go in place on that. And then you see the ability of endorsing or understanding does a person support what I'm voting for, right? You think that they're doing that. Right. And then lastly with Governor Little, it, it exposes where he is. And it's not whether you support him or not. It's where does he stand? And if he's going against the platform and is vetoing it because of Democrats, that tells you something. Absolutely. And so now you can make a better informed decision. No, that's great. And I think that's great that you've chosen to be involved in that. Again, just another piece of your life that uh, that, that is good for us to know about and uh, to recognize uh, the value that you're seeking to bring to the, to the community. So that's great. Well, uh, finally, we want to wrap up our conversation with a couple of things. Uh, the first one for you, Brandon, is uh, you're a deacon at True Family Bible Church. And so what are some of the things that you're involved with as a deacon and, and what does being a deacon mean to you? It's really just an, an official way, I guess, of, of putting an official title to to what I was already doing in the church. I, I, I love the church. I love the body of Christ. Um, I think primarily because I love Christ and, and that's, that's where his love is manifested really on earth is in his body. And, um, that's the Lord loves his, his bride. And so my heart is really for the church, for the, for the, the church universal, but really for the local church. And so because of my love for the church, I've, I've, I always want to serve in the church as far as just take care of whatever needs there are. Um, and uh, having been appointed a deacon, just, as, as you guys recognize, my, my heart was to serve the church. And so appointing me to that um, has, it doesn't change a ton, I guess, except for, I guess I'm in, in, in charge of helping make the decisions on financial issues. Um, uh, when, when needs are, are, are brought forward, they're, they're brought primarily to the deacons and to take care of, and, and then whether I need to delegate that to others or do it myself, um, you know, there's just opportunities there, I guess, to, to really serve. Yeah. Serve the people that serve our church in that way. I, I don't know what else to, to no. say about that. I, it really gives us a greater appreciation for Raquel. I'm thinking about all the things that she manages as Brandon leads. He's got his business that he's working on. He's involved in politics. He's serving the church. You know, and so, so Raquel, tell us a little bit about how do you help him in all these different areas? I mean, you, we already heard what a great homemaker you are from Brandon. So, you know, but, but it's so much more than that. I mean, as he serves, as he serves politically, you know, your job obviously is to help in that. And so right. how do you plug into that? Um, well, I guess with the church, maybe just, uh, allowing or, um, encouraging him to take time away from us 
and being supportive in, in that. Just, no, you should go, you know, um, help whoever needs help, do whatever needs done. Um, I guess maybe just that would be one of the bigger things, just making sure that I, I have a right attitude that he feels free to go out and do what needs done. Right. How about if he goes too far, if he's spending too much time away from the family, can you help him get back in line with his priorities? I think so. Good. Yeah. <laughs> Good. <laughs> that, that's, that's been something that has always been a bit of a challenge for me is I, I, I'm the kind of guy that likes to do stuff. I, I like to get involved. I, yeah. I, I, I probably should think about things longer, but often I just commit to things and do things, whether it's just, I'm, I'm always at every Bible study and every program and everything that's going on in the church. And whatever. so I, I have to restrict and limit myself. And I think I've become more responsible with my family as far as intentionally spending time with Raquel and spending time with the children, doing family worship. Um, those, those are things that are, that are priority. And, and as far as putting, putting some words to priority here, I am first a husband. I am really second a father, I guess, as far as you're putting priority. I am a deacon before I'm a committeeman, right? I'm a, I'm, I'm a, I'm a Christian before I'm some political. In fact, if I was just, if I could just speak a little bit to why I'm even getting involved in politics. It's because of your preaching, Danny. You, 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 you have a worldview emphasis on preaching and, and, and applying our Christian beliefs to every area of life. And having become convinced of that, I, I, I need to get involved in my local community. I need to love my neighbors myself and do the best for my neighbor uh, to seek the good of the, the city that, where I'm dwelling, right? In a, way, in a way that honors God. And so I, I'm, I don't have any personal ambition to get into politics. It, it actually takes, I, I would rather not in a, in a lot of ways because you're dealing with unbelievers, you're dealing with people that have you know, various worldviews and it's, it's a little difficult because you're, you're kind of having to pull on an issue in the same direction with people that you're really not even yoked to in, in, your, in your faith in any, in any meaningful way. Um, there's, I, there's very few genuinely serious Christians in politics. There's very few. Um, e either either it's people are in the church or they're in politics. The people that even identify as Christians in politics typically aren't part of a local church and typically have no love or commitment to a local church, which is I think is is just terrible. Uh, and it, be kind of, it kind of becomes their religion almost, even though they would identify as Christians. So, so I, I don't ever want to neglect the, the duties I have as a, as a husband, as a father, and as a deacon. As we've talked about recently, I'm, I'm getting back into hopefully finishing my third year of, of Koine Greek. And the, the busyness that that's causing and, and just the conversations we've had about can I continue... Um, in a responsible way, serving as a deacon um, and not neglecting those duties. And, and obviously some people may need to pick up a little bit the, the slack as it where I can't be as involved in, in certain things um, for just a short period of time, of course. But um, anyway, so time for So Raquel, yeah. back to you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a beautiful thing. So this is a great discussion. Um, you know, again, we see Brandon's heart and desire. It's just so forefront and center in everything that he does. He's got a vocation too, right? He's running a business. How do you plug in and help him with that? What does that look like? Um, with the business, I guess I organize his truck. <laughs> um, and I try to I try to help out with the, I guess you'd say secretary work where I can. Yeah, um, payroll, right? Yeah, 
making just, sure billings happen. Yeah, making sure things stay right for our taxes. And, yeah, and I'm, um, I'm baiting her into that. It's, it's, it's such an important role. I mean, you, you, it's so valuable because mm-hmm. every minute that you invest in organizing his truck is a minute that he's able to use in other ways. And this that frees him up to do the politics. That frees him up to be a deacon. That frees him up to study Greek. It frees him up to play with the kids. It frees him up for time with you. And so... Mm-hmm. You know, that's the helper role and we need to encourage that. It's a beautiful thing. And so how would you encourage other women that are are younger than you that are moving into that? What would that look like? Um, I think just I'm going to beat the same drum, being supportive in the direction they need to go. Um, Sometimes he don't have as much time to spend with me, even if I think, oh, I'd rather him stay home with me. Um, But not making him feel like it's a burden um, that he's leaving or um, doing other things. So I guess, yeah, just support your husband in whatever direction he's going. Um, be his cheerleader. Yeah, I mean, the, there's flexibility in what you're doing. It's holding on to things loosely because yeah. as he goes in a direction and, and even adds to his responsibilities, mm-hmm. you've got to adapt to that. And you're doing a great job of it. Well, thanks. I, so. I do uh, think even like us, we homeschool. And that is a huge help that I can be flexible. If we need to put down school and run parts or whatever he needs for his work, we can do that. That's and exactly so right. I'm really thankful for it. And we did that with my travels in my career and Judy homeschooling. It was mm-hmm. a huge benefit because of that flexibility. Yep. Sometimes they grab your math book. You're going to do math in the car while we run and get exactly. parts from the pipe store or exactly. whatever for dad. Flexibility. I think that's the key. Helping, being aware of, of simple needs, right. which are huge value. Well, and it goes back to that mindset of, uh, taught by the scripture of what a uh, a wife is is for and how, what God created her to do and to be, uh, that's what you're hearing right now from Raquel. Right, right. is is to be her husband's help helper, the old King, the King James, the helpmate, mm-hmm. and and those types of things are just a, a wonderful thing to see when they're when they're working in unison. When 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 a when a couple is loving the Lord individually and then together then you start to see things um, just blossom and flourish. All the things that can be accomplished and the, the joy and the love that you have for each other, your family, that then spills over into your community, into your church life, um, and all the people that are blessed by that. So it's, it's not just about you. It ends up being something that is, um, it shines a light in the world. And it's so important for other women to hear, and men, as we see, you know, we're off doing this, and then... You have to be so flexible in that. Like there is, there is no set direction for you other than to be in this support role, and and that's huge. I mean, we we totally undervalue that role well, as and men, and and just even have, the world. Yeah, and we probably don't have time to get all into it too. But it's not that um, Raquel and her individuality and her interests and things are are totally uh, eclipsed because um, right. you know I, I had some notes here that. Um, you love to garden. I do. <laughs> uh, cooking and baking, especially. I know my wife was just at your house yesterday yep. learning how to make uh, the Raquel Shippy fancy cupcakes. Right. We, right? Almost, we almost have 300 done for the wedding this weekend. So so just a, a, a just a wonderful element of of the, the fulfillment that God designed for a woman in the home to be a support for her husband and to flourish in the way in which God has designed women to um, to operate and to be. And uh, just proud of you guys. Thankful for you being a part of our church. Um, just a little, uh, uh, one little detail I just wanted to bring out because um, it, it certainly is something that makes me 
wonder and makes me proud of what Brandon is doing too. You know, Brandon is studying Koine Greek. Brandon, how far did you make it through school? I made it through fifth grade in math and spelling. What a wonderful thing, right? A fifth grade education, and yet he's a, um, a prize student in, uh, in learning Greek. And just to see what the Lord has done through him saving you uh, nine years ago and um, how, he has, um, how he has changed you, how he is, is working in your life and taking someone with a fifth grade education, being grown up in the cult and to see what uh, the Lord has done and changed and brought about to be new uh, and the blessings that overflow from his grace in, in your life. Uh, in your lives. It's, it's, it's just remarkable. And that's why, as Jim mentioned right at the beginning, this is the type of, of conversation that we think is a blessing to our people to give praise and glory to God for, as well as for people to be stimulated to learn to love you more, to serve you, and to befriend you. Perhaps there's people with even similar interests that uh, would uh, take advantage of the opportunity to get to know you guys, to talk to you, and to uh, spend time together. Um, these are wonderful opportunities to um, find joy and brotherhood in the body of Christ. So uh, we thank you guys for being with us today. Well, that's all the time we have for Truth Today. We want to thank you all for joining us. And until next time, we hope that you will grow in your love and commitment to Christ and his church as we are sanctified in the truth. God's word is truth.